chapter nine part two of one thing needful this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. one thing needful by mary elizabeth braddon chapter nine part two among these latter was mr nestorius the great party leader who having retired from political life finally after the defeat of his ministry now like dante swimmer looked back breathless after striving with the waves upon the raging sea of politics from the calm shore of domesticity nestorius had been a protege of lady pitland when his brilliant career was in its dawn and the friendship with that wonderful old lady and her family had never been interrupted albeit their political opinions were as the poles asunder and now that the politician's distinguished career was a closed book and that he had withdrawn into the haven of private life without the faintest intention of ever refitting his damaged craft again to encounter the buffets of ocean it pleased lady lashmar that the great man should enjoy some portion of his well-earned leisure under her roof she talked of him beforehand more than of any other of her guests and arranged that the very best of the best rooms should be given to him there are cases in which rank counts for nothing she said mr nestorius must always be first everywhere he is not only great as a statesman he has won his laurels as a poet and the interpreter of classic poetry and our respect is all the more due to him since he has retired from office for ever always a melancholy fact to consider when a career has been so great although so mistaken is there no possibility of mr nestorius returning to public life whenever the liberals come into power again asked stella simply lady lashmar gave her a look which ought to have frozen her the liberals have seen the last of their misrule she said the country has been taught a lesson which it is not likely to forget yet history shows that people always do forget argued stella opinion follows opinion as wave follows wave the world would stagnate if it were otherwise pray do not argue i do not care for mr verner's ideas at second hand said lady lashmar haughtily she encouraged the girl to talk sometimes snubbed her mercilessly at other times and was never really kind yet it so happened that this kind of life slavery as it was suited stella's temperament good books and gracious surroundings were at present her only idea of bliss in this world and as lady lashmar's companion she had these in abundance the best of books old and new 
elegant rooms to live in and the right to wander at will in gardens or park during her brief intervals of leisure for the rest she was penniless had no remuneration for her labour not even the wages of an under housemaid and now that mr nestorius and other great people were bidden to the castle stella knew that her servitude would be in no way altered that she would see little or nothing of those great ones she sat at the little writing-table in the window of her ladyship's morning-room waiting for further orders while lady lashmar and the beautiful widow lady carmenow sat on each side of the hearth brightened by the glow of a small wood fire and discussed the expected visitors remember you are on no account to desert me while these people are in the house said lady lashmar with an imperative air almost as a mother talking to a daughter i shall expect you to take nearly all the trouble of receiving them off my hands you must be almost as the mistress of the house it will be very nice answered clarice with her slow dreamy smile i adore mr nestorius though i know he did his utmost to ruin this country when he was in power but he is such an orator the finest i am told since lord chatham and he is such a thoroughly poetical man and such a scholar his translation of aeschylus is quite too lovely i am sure it must be ever so much nicer than the original stella's lips moved and a little impulsive movement disturbed the repose of her attitude she had discussed this translation of mr nestorius's with gabriel verner they had gone over it line by line and it had seemed to them that the agamemnon of mr nestorius was a treason against the greek playwright so fully had the statesman given the reins to his own vivid imagination but it was not for her to give utterance to her doubts in that room or to air her knowledge of greek before lady carmenow i am getting some new frocks on purpose for your people said clarice who was fonder of millinery than of literature the only books she really enjoyed were french novels and the newest school of english poetry her intellectual fibre had a certain limpness which required to be shocked and startled into attention she went to sleep over tennyson or browning and george eliot made her head ache who is making your frocks asked lady lashmar faintly interested mrs marshall she is very good but a desperate robber her prices are iniquitous but she drapes a gown so deliciously there is an indescribable something which is worth any money she likes to charge i never grumble at her bills i have even gone so far as to shake hands with her when i have wanted a gown in a desperate hurry how long is it since you have seen victorian asked lady lashmar absently as if her thoughts had wandered ever so far from mrs marshall's bills oh ages and ages not since the spring yes once in the summer at a crush at the foreign office we had five minutes together on the stairs five minutes that brought back the thought of old times before i married poor lord carmenow i felt as if i were a girl again 
you are not much more than a girl he was very attentive i suppose oh he said some rather sweet things but sweet things are only the small change of society nowadays they mean no more than the crystallized violets one nibbles at dessert lord lashmar is a great man quite absorbed in politics i hope he will never become a walking blue book like some of them said lady lashmar vaguely i am proud that he should make his mark in the world but i should like to see his domestic happiness secure before i die dearest lady lashmar pray do not talk of dying you have a long life still before you i hope i should be glad to hope so too if i could clarice but i can't i am obliged to adopt the horatian philosophy abjure extended hopes and enjoy my life as much as i can in the present i want to see my son married and married as i should wish that is just the one thing you must not hope for answered clarice with a touch of bitterness as if that placid temper of hers were faintly stirred by the memory of an old wrong men never marry to please their fathers and mothers and the sons who have had ideal fathers and mothers are almost sure to marry badly it is only the men who have seen a cat-and-dog life exemplified in their parents who are careful in choosing their own wives it would break my heart if victorian were to marry beneath him oh i don't suppose he will do that said clarice with supreme hauteur he will marry in his own rank i have no doubt he has none of those horrid low instincts which lead young men to make friends of their stablemen and to admire chorus girls but he may marry a woman who has been more talked about than you would like although as so many women of fashion are talked about nowadays that would hardly be supposed to matter it would matter very much to me clarice answered the dowager sternly i wonder you can talk so lightly i only talk as other people talk things do not count now as they used when my mother was young and prince albert was alive is it not strange that one good man's death seems to have loosened all the bonds that held society together at least mother says it is so she puts our moral decadence all down to the untimely death of the prince consort stella was often a quiet hearer during such conversations her presence counted for nothing lady lashmar and clarice talked as freely before her as if she had been a footman she was not of their rank nor of their world and so was in a manner non-existent lady carmenau would honour her with a passing nod as she entered the room the most infinitesimal thing in nods and another as she left but in the interval between entering and leaving the room the lovely widow appeared utterly unconscious of her existence lady carmenau be it observed was more thoroughly a peeress than if she had been born in the purple the consciousness of her exalted rank never left her it was for this she had suffered the slow agonies of union with the man she loathed for this she had shrunk shuddering from the ravings of delirium tremens endured the unspeakable horrors of habitual intemperance and she was bent upon making the utmost of the privilege she had won so dearly the once gentle and pliant clarice had become the haughtiest of women but as she had still the placid montmorency temper the constitutional amiability 
of the lymphatic lily-complexioned order of womankind people managed to endure her pride of rank and even the oppressive sense of her wealth between lady carmenau and stella there was a silent antagonism neither had forgotten that day in the library when stella had shrunk from clarice's pitying touch as if it had been the sting of an adder there had been no renewal of compassionate feeling on lady carmenau's side she was jealous of those gifts which made stella such a valuable companion for lady lashmar she resented the girl's superior cultivation and spoke of her sneeringly as a blue stocking she can read greek and latin how very absurd it is only a smattering of course old mr verner tells me that she knows more than many a b a said lady lashmar my poor foolish stepson crammed her with learning from the time she was able to read she has been nourished upon books what a pity she cannot get a degree i wonder you don't send her to girton or newnham she would be more in her place there than in this house she is very useful to me i could not possibly spare her oh but companions can be got by the hundred you have only to choose from a column of advertisements there is a fresh column every morning in the times i have often looked thinking i should like to get some one for mother some one who would amuse her all day and take her quite off my hands don't you know needy young women in want of homes may be had in shoals i have no doubt answered lady lashmar but it is not easy to get a really good reader stella has a sympathetic voice and reads well i could not do without her she is not simpatica with me said clarice languidly i am very sensitive about my surroundings i should not like your stella in my room after midnight those great black eyes and that pale face would frighten me i should have an idea that i was going to be murdered lady lashmar smiled as at the nonsense talk of a beautiful child she was very fond of clarice whose loveliness gladdened her eye and whose intellectual inferiority was a perpetual compliment to her understanding she was hoping great things from the coming october which would bring victorian and clarice together day after day in the easy-going intercourse of a country house her own breaking health would be an excuse for leaving her son and the lovely widow very much to their own devices lady carmenau would take the place of the mistress of the house and lashmar would have to consult her about everything could he resist so much beauty and sweetness he had been proof against those charms once or he had shilly-shallied and had lost his chance if he had not been proof if it had been a case of shilly-shally only and he had been hard hit all the time how gladly would he seize the golden opportunity which his mother had prepared for him it is true that he might have made opportunities for himself during the years in which lady carmenau had been a widow but there are men who will make no effort in these matters who require to have fortune flung into their laps and then lashmar had been absorbed by politics ever since that famous speech which had helped to secure the majority that overthrew the late cabinet lord lashmar arrived fresh from a yachting excursion in the hebrides bronzed and bearded broad-shouldered muscular the manliest of young men with a fresh open-air look about him 
yet intellectual withal it was a fine face as even stella was fain to confess to herself as she withdrew from the morning-room after his lordship's arrival leaving mother and son together yes it was a fine face but far from a pleasant face stella thought there was the haughty expression of his grandmother's old northumbrian race the fitz rollos who claimed to be descended in a direct line from those norsemen who swooped like a flight of seabirds on that bleak coast in the dim beginning of english history stella had been told about those norse robbers of the long ago from whom it was such unspeakable honour to be descended some innate taint of radicalism made her slow to perceive the glory of such lineage but she thought to-day that victorian lord lashmar had just the kind of face which would have looked its best under a norseman's helmet or at the prow of a piratical craft with roughened hair blown by the north sea wind and keen eyes looking landward ready for rapine and carnage so soon as that light foot should strike the shore she could fancy him holding his own valiantly amongst the prosy old gentlemen in the house of lords he gave her a distant bow as she passed him a salutation which she acknowledged with an almost imperceptible bend of the long slim throat while the look in those dark eyes of hers expressed absolute dislike she had not forgotten his parting speech in the library seven years ago or the air with which he had flung open the door and told her to march he would tell her to march again perhaps if she should happen to be in his way at any time this was the first time they two had met face to face since that day he looked after her wonderingly till the portiere fell behind her and he and his mother were alone your protege has improved he said she is not half so ugly as she was seven years ago pray don't call her my protege you know she is a legacy from poor hubert an incubus which his quixotism has imposed upon me but i take it she is useful to you or you would have sent her about her business before now she fetches and carries for those two lazy old maids of yours barker and celestine i suppose she reads very well that is the only way in which she is useful to me and now victorian let us talk of yourself and of the future i hope you are going to stay here all the winter till the house reopens would you like me to stay of course i would dearest what have i to live for but your society life is a blank when you are away from me that is hard mother dear when i have been so much away you make me feel that i have been an undutiful son no no you are not to be the slave of a too exacting love mothers are even more tiresome than wives it was right that you should see the world but now that you have travelled and have seen so much the time has come for settling down quietly for assuming your right position as an english nobleman all our greatest statesmen have been men who spent their lives at home our people are jealous of continental influences and dislike continental habits my dear mother i am not such a caterer for popularity as to fashion my manners or my life to please the mob but i shall be glad to spend more of my days with you now 
now that i am growing middle-aged he had hesitated before those concluding words saddened by the thought that the limit of those days which his mother and he were to spend together was already marked by fate and seemed to him now to lie within a definite distance there was no longer that vagueness of prospect which makes the horizon of life seem infinite he could not flatter himself in the face of obvious decay that his mother would live to the green old age of lady pitland who had ruled the world of fashion at seventy and had been a power in her own little world till she was ninety that is a good hearing said lady lashmar with a smile which altered the whole character of her face the mother's adoring smile and you will marry i hope very soon no anchor like a good wife i'm not in a hurry to be anchored answered lashmar laughing but i have a receptive mind and am ready to fall in love at short notice now that politics are off my mind what have you here in the way of beauty mother mine the bishop of southborough is to be here in a week or so with his two daughters pretty fresh young girls and both musical i should not object to either as a daughter-in-law then there is old lord banbury's daughter the diana of northamptonshire a frank open-hearted girl and a superb horsewoman she comes with mrs mulciber an old friend of mine i am glad you haven't got banbury himself he is a dreadful old driveller lady sophia is a good sort of girl but she has made herself a great deal too public and has written about in the sporting papers as if she were a jockey i think one of them called her our soph our soph's performances with the pitchley have been creating the usual sensation or something of that kind i don't think you would like our soph for a daughter-in-law old lord banbury was a friend of your grandfather was he then he must have been one of the few friends my grandfather was allowed to choose for himself lady pitland would never have tolerated him on her list well mother who else is coming there is mr nestorius the rest are all your own invitations oh my invitations are rather odd captandum given on the spur of the moment there is mr ponsonby the famous q c and conservative member ponsonby who saved mrs brownrigg don't you know in the starving case that made such a sensation seven or eight years ago ponsonby began life as a rad but is now a high church tory swears by laud adores pusey and weeps when the disestablishment of the irish church is mentioned attributes all our irish troubles to that destructive measure i wonder how he and the stories will get on under the same roof they have been under the same roof before said her ladyship yes but that was a bigger roof and they were not upon company manners mr nestorius is always charming whom else have you asked captain vavasour the society novelist and his wife such a delightful little woman airy fascinating eccentric audacious just like one of her husband's novels i think she must sit to him for all his heroines perhaps she writes his books not she aurelia is one of those delicious creatures who never do anything for themselves not so much as to fill in a card of invitation 
or run up to the nursery to look at a sick baby vavasour writes all her letters and fills in all her cards and she sends her maid to ask after her babies she would not be half so graceful and charming if she were not the quintessence of selfishness i once heard a woman ask her what her gown cost haven't the least idea she answered sweetly i never ask what things are going to cost lest i should be afraid to order them then your vavasours are in debt i conclude enormously i feel sure that i shall loathe this person i doubt it but please don't show your aversion in any case don't freeze the poor little thing with the pride of the fitz rollos that would be to break a butterfly upon a wheel i don't suppose she would care a woman of that kind is always case-hardened did i tell you that lady carmenau will be here for a week or two she wanted to run in and out as she used when she was a girl but i have insisted upon her sending over her trunks she will help to amuse mr nestorius no doubt mr nestorius is impressionable and a widower lady carmenau would make him a capital wife my dear lashmar he is old enough to be her father greatness is of no age nestorius at fifty is more attractive than the common herd of young men and for a woman of lady carmenau's ambitious temper he would be especially attractive she has secured her coronet she has made herself a marchioness and no one can unmake her the next step would be to secure an ex-prime minister for her husband and slave that is all nonsense clarice is full of romance her marriage with a notorious sot would imply as much it was a noble feeling which prompted that unhappy union she wanted to reclaim him she wanted to be lady carmenau don't look so unhappy mother i like your favourite well enough i once almost thought myself in love with her but that was when i was young and foolish you need not be afraid of her fascinations now said lady lashmar piqued at his manifest indifference clarice is much too well off as a widow to wish to change her condition precisely she is one of those sensible women who can estimate the value of everything she knew the value of a marquis's coronet so much for the strawberry leaves so much for the pearls she knows the exact value of her position as lord carmenau's childless widow it is not very much bar the title take my word for it mother she would marry again to better herself lady lashmar did not argue the point she was bent upon masking her batteries if possible men are such kittle-cattle and if lashmar once took it into his head that she was bent on matchmaking he would set his face against clarice and all her charms she would trust to the chapter of accidents and to lady carmenau's beauty which was in its zenith that beauty came almost as a surprise on lashmar by and by when clarice sauntered into the library at afternoon tea-time he was unprepared for so much loveliness albeit he had talked with her last june for five minutes on the stairs at the foreign office that girlish loveliness svelte flowing alabaster fair had expanded into a royal beauty lady carmenau was much less slim than she had been in her girlhood but her stoutness if it must be called by so vulgar a word was a juno-like stoutness and her loveliness was enhanced by expansion 
the alabaster tint was still more dazzling it had that transparent brilliancy which horace sings of her golden auburn hair was piled in a coronet above the low classic brow the turn of the neck was statuesque in its perfection the carriage of the small head was full of unaffected dignity the plainly made gown of lustreless brown silk set off the gracious figure with a noble simplicity the lovely wrist and hand looked all the lovelier under a severely cut sleeve with a narrow cuff of old mechlin lace how strange that we should meet for the first time in this room said clarice when she and lashmar had shaken hands and she had ensconced herself in the most comfortable of all the comfortable chairs which were grouped about the hearth and tea-table do you remember that afternoon when you showed me the wonderful books and when we found that poor little savage sitting on a ladder indeed i have not forgotten i was reminded of the fact this morning by the sight of my brother's protege my mother tells me she has become a biteable young person and very useful to her as a reader clarice shrugged her shoulders and gave a faint shiver i should not like such a person about me she said but dear lady lashmar seems quite taken with her of late dear lady lashmar disavowed any such friendly a feeling for the girl she is useful to me she explained i require someone to read to me and she reads well that is all i am always afraid of self-educated people said clarice they are so arrogant and so ambitious almost always radicals thinking poor creatures that book-learning is the only thing that counts and forgetting their hopeless ignorance of everything we know and that naturally means everything worth knowing said lashmar smiling at her across his teacup well you will acknowledge that in society manners and savoir-faire are of much more importance than latin and greek said clarice with conviction i see you are one of those people who think that the classics are the exclusive property of half a dozen elderly gentlemen in the universities who seldom wash and who could hardly muster hairbrush among them replied his lordship laughingly lashmar sipped his tea and enjoyed the restfulness of this lazy afternoon hour when dressing for dinner seems too far off to be thought of as a burden he had been the first to arrive his guests were expected by a later train so he and his mother and lady carmenal had this delicious interval all to themselves it was a new thing for him to take tea in that grandiose old library with its bossed ceiling rich in gold and vermilion seeming to repeat the colour of the grolier bindings hitherto the room in which hubert lord lashmar had lived his pensive unoffending life had been a sealed chamber dedicated to the memory of the dead as it were a tomb in the mansion of the living but within a week of her son's return lady lashmar had made up her mind to reopen the library as a general sitting-room a pleasant place for afternoon tea a haven in the evening for elderly people who love quiet or for those unmusical souls who care not for the modern sonata or the modern ballad it was clarice who had talked lady lashmar into this innovation the library is quite the handsomest room in the castle and you leave it figuratively speaking to bats and owls she said what is the good of fine rooms if one does not use them 
the lashmar library is the one great feature of this house and you don't even let people see it lady lashmar yielded and it was lady carmanal who with her own fair hands and the aid of half a dozen housemaids rearranged the room after the luxurious modern idea she introduced delicious little alma tadima cum queen and chairs and tables things half pompeian half old english she made delightful corners with old indian screens seven-leaved golden beautiful and she set groups of palms in richest red pottery vases she knew exactly where all the prettiest things were to be had and what to order the genie of the lamp was hardly more expeditious in the art of furnishing lashmar was delighted what a sensible idea to use this big old room for living in said lashmar lolling back in her nest of tawny plush and looking round at the black and gold screens and vermilion tables and palms and peacock's feathers it was lady carmanal's idea you have her to thank for the change then i do thank her most cordially oh but it is i who ought to be thankful cried clarice i delight in arranging a room i am almost as officious as lady hillborough who cannot be half an hour in any one's drawing-room without rearranging all the chairs now oriana has a genius for chairs but if i have any talent it is for corners how do you like that corner with a seven-leaved screen and the palms it is simply perfection a haven in which to dream away wintry days too blissful to regret the summer a nook for a flirtation for a proposal even young ladies on their promotion ought to be very grateful to you lady carmanal i am very fond of nice girls murmured clarice with an air of matronly superiority worthy of a grandmother afternoon tea lasted a long time upon this particular occasion it was dusk when the two ladies closed their work-baskets and went off to their own apartments lady lashmar to secure an hour's rest before she put on velvet and diamonds to receive her son's guests who were all to arrive in time for dinner clarice to waste an hour pleasantly over honette or daudet or the milder gravilla a few minutes before seven there came a great clanging of doors and the corridors echoed with strange voices whereby lady lashmar resting her wearied nerves as best she might knew that the people had all come she could not help listening for mr nestorius's voice amidst that babble of mistresses and maids and she heard a few words uttered calmly by that mellifluous organ depth and smoothness were the chief characteristics of the ex-minister's voice soft grave and yet strong were those tones which had ruled in the senate which had touched the hearts of women perhaps it was this voice which had been the most powerful influence in mr nestorius's career he had that fine flow of language and those ever musical tones which enable a man to talk nonsense unchallenged nay rather to make nonsense appear logic or wit as the orator chose how reposeful how soothing sounded that voice amidst the chatter of the women and the haw-hawing of the men captain vavasour was making as much fuss as the noisiest of women but then as he had to look after his wife's luggage and his wife's poodle as well as his own portmanteau there was some excuse for him 
i wonder how i shall get on with these people thought the dowager they are horribly noisy and their voices have a vulgar twang thank heaven there is clarice to take them off my hands at ten minutes to eight she was in the drawing-room and the strangers were being duly presented to her as she sat supported on one side by mrs mulciber a spreading woman in a grey satin gown and by lady sophia freemantle on the other lady sophia was a tall well-made young woman with the square shoulders which were considered intolerable thirty years ago but which are permitted and even approved nowadays she was not handsome she would have scorned to be so she had a healthy brunette complexion which had been buffeted by all the winds of heaven and shone on by the sun until it had acquired a permanent bronze and a harder consistency than belongs to the cheek of beauty she had regular features a small sharp nose and a determined mouth and chin a mouth that had grown resolute in encounters with obstinate horses refusing the same ditch thirty times on end to be beaten by lady sophia at the thirty-first she had a loud voice that had grown strong in conversations carried on in the open air and often at longish distances with labouring men at the further side of a field and sometimes with tramps and wayfarers just within hail discussions as to which way the hunted fox had gone or as to whether an animal lately seen was or was not the hunted fox there is always a chance of being deluded by that social impostor the fox out for a quiet airing and only distinguishable from the real hero by his smug respectable aspect and clean brush on horseback lady sophia looked better than one woman in twenty not only for her willowy waist or the fit of her habit but for the admirable pose of that slim tall figure and the perfect adjustment of the rider to every movement of the horse in an evening gown sophia looked her worst and she regarded the whole question of evening gowns with supreme indifference her dark red satin was at least three seasons old as lady carmenau's keen eye perceived in an instant and the colour was much too near the carnation of the wearer's cheek to be becoming lady carmenau was at the other end of the drawing-room half buried in a gigantic chair and slowly fanning herself with a great ostrich feather fan while she listened to mr nestorius she was looking divinely lovely her large fair bust and shoulders looked dazzling in their parian whiteness against the hedge sparrow velvet of her gown hedge sparrow had been the fashionable colour of last season women had lived and moved and had their being only in hedge sparrow gowns the colour was that of a hedge sparrow's egg be it understood not of the sparrow himself a turquoise blue with just the faintest greenish tint a colour which became blondes to perfection and as most women are blondes nowadays or make themselves so the hue had enjoyed a tremendous vogue if there was a particularly attractive woman in a room it generally happened that mr nestorius and she were together he was said to be a magnetic man and it was an attribute of his magnetism always to draw the nicest women about him pallid faces and thrilling tones have an almost irresistible charm for women your healthy-looking man with a florid complexion or a harsh voice has hardly any chance it was within two minutes of the hour 
and lady lashmar was beginning to look angry when mrs vavasour came gliding in clad in a dragging garment of limp lace and muslin which might or might not be a gown there was that marked disproportion between the lady and her clothes which is so often seen nowadays as to be no longer surprising the lady was so exuberant and the gown so exiguous that had it not been for an immense garland of marechal niel roses which made a kind of flower-bed across the ample bust lady lashmar would have been inclined to order the newcomer out of the room as it was she acknowledged her son's introduction somewhat stiffly gave mrs vavasour the tips of her fingers and only recognized the lady's husband with a haughty inclination of her head for it was her ladyship's opinion that when a married woman made a spectacle of herself the husband was more to blame than the wife in those circles in which mrs vavasour moved it had been often said that she was utterly charming but that a stranger required half an hour to get accustomed to her she was certainly pretty but that her beauty was either made or marred by art was indisputable the cloud of golden fluffiness which surrounded her head seeming almost too ethereal for actual hair the definite line of dark eyebrows and the lashes clogged with ebony dye the porcelain whiteness and the rose-leaf bloom were all from the same source and a child of four years old could scarcely have been innocent enough to mistake the picture for reality but the general effect was considered good and as mrs vavasour's reputation had never been clouded by the breath of scandal the lady was caressed and courted and her little ways were considered charming her manner was quite as artificial as her complexion she drawled out her delight at making lady lashmar's acquaintance in the latest slang and with the latest abbreviations lady sophia contemplating her calmly with her hawk's eyes all the time as if she had been some new specimen in that animal world of rats weasels stoats ferrets polecats and other unclean vermin which lord banbury's daughter knew so intimately mr nestorius was of course entitled to the arm of his hostess and lady carmanow to that of her host mr ponsonby the barrister took mrs vavasour and good-natured mrs mulciver put up with the rector who had been asked as it were to open the shooting season with a good old anglican grace short and unintelligible captain vavasour took in lady sophia they had travelled by the same train and were as friendly as if they had been brought up in the nursery together sophia's experience of the hunting-field having given her all the ways of jolly good fellowship but this familiarity with the fashionable novelist did not prevent her almost ignoring his wife i'm afraid mrs vavasour and i can't have much in common she said ducking to get a glimpse of that radiant lady athwart a grove of silver trophies in the way of racing cups and candelabra she doesn't look as if she hunted inwardly adding not an outdoor make-up and you do nothing else i've heard replied the captain well it is the highest kind of fame to do one thing to perfection i write a little in my humble way but it is always about hunting said lady sophia then you are spurbox of the sunday swashbuckler cried vavasour i've often been told as much yes i am spurbox admitted the lady looking modestly downward overcome by the thought of her own fame i rather enjoy writing for the paper the editor pays me very well 
and there is only one thing i don't altogether like he insists that i should always pretend to be tipsy when i am writing or to have been horribly tipsy overnight oh but that is de rigueur it is part of the policy of the paper all the contributors are supposed to exist in a state of chronic drunkenness i need not tell you that they are some of the soberest men in london as temperate as you lady sophia it is rather good fun pretending to be hopelessly obfuscated what is supposed to be your particular vanity soda and curacao i consume gallons i am always talking of my little failings sometimes i go in for green chartreuse with fatal results but the editor wants me to drop liqueurs which he says have a snobbish tone that offends his radical subscribers he wants me to take to dog's nose what is dog's nose a compound of beer and gin particularly affected by cabmen what is supposed to be your social status as spurbox oh it is awfully vague i am as misty as a mythological personage i write from all the great hunting centres sometimes i am at the george at grantham where i seem to live in the bar for the editor will put in remarks of his own about drinks don't you know and i hardly know my own writing when i see it in print i comprehend he embellishes that is hardly fair i have told him so but he says that there must be a single mind directing the whole just so as according to poor old anchises when his son interviewed him in the underworld there was at one time a single soul permeating the human race anchises must be dead said sophia who only caught the classic and familiar name he won the derby when i was a little tot i remember seeing the race from my father's drag it was the year facile prankeps was favourite and came in a bad third anchises was a mealy chestnut the conversation went on at this rate all through dinner captain vavis sour hunted and was fond of racing was hand in glove with men who kept racers and had a good deal to say about the turf he knew old lord banbury's history by heart knew what to say and what to avoid saying lady sophia did not usually like writing men she thought them conceited and uninteresting but the novelist charmed her he was in the middle of a capital story about jack russell and the exmoor staghounds when lady carmenau rose swan-like at the beck of her hostess what a bore exclaimed sophia i shall have to go with the lady pack and with the lady pack the fair sophia departed wondering whether she would find any one sociable enough to join her with a cigarette she carried her cigarette-case in her pocket even when she was dressed for the evening and in those pleasant houses where ladies were tolerated in the billiard-room she always smoked this was her first visit to lashmar and mrs Mulciver had warned her that it was a severe house lady carmenau settled herself in a comfortable armchair near lady lashmar's particular corner beside the wide old hearth these two talked apart and left the other three ladies to their own devices sophia found the last saturday review with a sporting article and retired behind that paper mrs Bavisauer shed her artificial radiance upon friendly mrs Mulciver, whom she entertained with her opinions upon the plays and operas of last season a style of conversation which could not have warmly interested a lady who had not seen one of them but mrs Mulciver was one of those admirable women who always appear to be interested even when they are inwardly sinking with weariness she was a delightful listener had very little to say herself but said that little in a neat and pleasant manner she had made her way in the world without advantages of birth or fortune and with very moderate abilities born and bred in the middle classes the daughter of a village vicar 
she had contrived to live all her life in the very best circles staying now at one country house now at another now chaperoning an orphan heiress now keeping things straight for an aristocratic household in which the mistress was a dipsomaniac anon looking after a widower's young children or helping in the dirty work of a county election she was everybody's confidant and everybody's amanuensis she wrote a magnificent hand and she was good at accounts she always read the newspapers and knew everything that was going on in the world but her travelling library consisted of only two books a peerage and a bible these she knew by heart and here her knowledge of literature ended she had no imagination and never read novels her mind required hard facts her notion of leisure was to sit at a window working high art designs of an angular ecclesiastical character upon brown holland and she was admirable in this wise as the dragon of prudery in a country house full of lovers for the rest she knew all the latest remedies and palliatives for neuralgia low spirits and insomnia and was pleasantly officious in such cases her headquarters for the last three years had been banbury manor where she acted as a deputy mother for lady sophia whose real mother had run away with a colonel of dragoons at the mature age of nine-and-thirty much to the satisfaction of old lord banbury who had tyrannized over her for nineteen weary years and was beginning to sicken of a worm which had never turned End of chapter nine part two